the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. Welcome to Very Bold Radio, where we bring you inspirational interviews from a variety of difference makers, authors, singers, athletes, and others, as well as encouraging teaching from God's Word, which we call the Simple Man's Bible Study. I am a simple man, though the Bible studies for men, women, youth, Christians, and even those that are searching or looking to find out who Jesus is. I'm Steve Teal, and today for Very Bold, I'm bringing the Simple Man Bible Study to you. With Easter upon us, Resurrection Sunday right at our doorstep, I got to thinking about the Saturday before the Sunday, the Saturday between the cross on Friday and the empty tomb and risen Christ on Sunday. And that led me to imagining, I want you to use your imagination today, I know you can do that, making a pastoral call to one of those closest to Jesus of Nazareth on the Saturday after his death. Now, let me explain something. I'm a pastor. Not only am I a youth pastor at River City Church, New Braunfels, shout out, and yes, you're invited to come out to the Civic Center in New Braunfels this Easter Sunday, 11 a.m. It's going to be an incredible time. I want to see you there. Come on out. But I'm also a pastor who has the honor to officiate weddings. What a blessing to be a part of these weddings. Incredible to me. I'll talk about that another time. But I also get to counsel people who are going through really hard times, sicknesses, challenges, um, all sorts of things, get to pray with them. I also evangelize and disciple and teach people who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, and that's an honor. Well, I also do funeral services, and I've I've been blessed over the years um, to do many, and I really consider it an honor to celebrate someone's life. And so this is where I'm going to ask you today to use your imagination because I'm inviting you, yes, you, you and me, to go on a pastoral visit. Now, this is where the imagination comes in. I'm going to walk you through it, though, as the two of us travel across 2,000 years and miles across the globe to Jerusalem. You see, when I do a funeral or memorial service, and even as I just mentioned that, I think about past memorial services uh, flashing before my eyes of my family members, all four grandparents, an honor to do. Um, Brian McLean, whom I counted as a little brother, as well as for families that I knew the loved one well or the family well, like Jim Sutton, Julian and Linda Perez. These are just a few that come to my mind, but I've, I've done so many memorial services for families that I love and also families where um, I don't know the loved one that they lost. And so this last summer I did a memorial service for Sean Barrett for uh, Sue, his mom and his, and, and his family and friends. 
But I, I felt like through the memories, I really got to know him. And then uh, David Goodell, who I, I didn't get to really know before he was sick, but we got to know his wife, Jackie, so very well, such a blessing. So um, there, there are many more that I think about. And even today, I want you to know my heart goes out to you because some of you still grieve the loss of a dad, the loss of a mom, the loss of a spouse. You still grieve, and I just want you to know um, that Jesus wants to encourage you today and love you in your grief and loss. So as I was saying, when I lead a memorial uh, service or a funeral, one of the things I always try to do is go and meet with some, if not all, of the family members and friends whenever that works out. So I do this for several reasons. One is to know the person better. I may or may not even know them, but there are going to be so many facets that I do not realize myself unless I get to ask the family and friends. Some of those stories then serve as stories in the memorial service itself. It helps the people that are there to get to know the person who's passed, uh, to know more about that beloved person. But also in listening and inviting these stories, I found that it's very healing part of the grieving process just to share these stories. So I ask you, have you been on a pastoral call to someone who's just lost someone they love? Come with me today. I invite you to open up your imagination, open up your heart as we go on a very sad Saturday to check on one of Jesus' closest friends, not only one of the chosen 12 that was prayed for and selected by Jesus, uh, not only that, but along with his own brother James and that leader Peter, was one of the inner core three. I'm talking about the Apostle John. We'll just call him John today. We're going to visit him on that Saturday. You and I have the benefit of 2020 hindsight right now. We know that John would go on to write incredible, just the gospel according to John about Jesus and the signs that Jesus did and the teaching, I am the bread of life. Um, I am the resurrection and the life, all these things. We have the benefit of that, knowing that he would one day late in life write Revelation and also his epistles. But on this Saturday, as we go in our imagination, we're going to meet a John who was discouraged, shocked, disappointed, hurting, questioning, and afraid. Now, in hindsight, you and I know that that Saturday between the cross and the empty tomb is just it's just one day away from the most important miracle in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, that thing that vindicated him as the son of God. But John, you have to understand on that Saturday is not in that place. You and I now understand that in order to get to the resurrection, we must first go to the cross. You and I understand that to get to the resurrection, we also must suffer in sadness on a Saturday. You and I understand that now, but on that Saturday, John is hurting and confused. You and I walk to a home where it's been prearranged that we will sit down with John and talk about Jesus, talk about what happened, talk about stories and memories that just might come to John. As we get to the door, we knock, not just once, but we knock again. We can hear people talking in hushed tones inside the home, so we knock yet again. We sense hesitation, so I call out, is John there? We're supposed to meet him. Hello, is John there? 
Finally, the door barely cracks open and we see dark brown eyes, but they are bloodshot and he is just barely peering through the door. He's studying us and from somewhere inside, another voice calls out and says, they're okay, let them in, they're meeting with me. The disciple at the door opens the door, but he practically just drags us in to hurry us along. He then looks outside up and down the street before closing the door. We notice him immediately latch the lock. He points a finger in your face and says, were you followed? No, you immediately say, then look at me, right? I don't think so, I shrug. What's your name, I ask of that disciple. I'm not John. You don't need to know my name. You and I exchange suspicious looks that indicate, well, that's strange. That's weird. That disciple points to another man. It's John. You're here. You're here for not me. As John walks over to us, the first man backs away and leaves the room. I'm John, he says, this one. Welcome. Sorry about that. We're all just shocked. Not sure who we can trust. Have a seat. He offers us drink and figs to snack on and ask a woman named Martha to get them for us. After a few welcoming words, we ask, do you mind telling us what happened? Now, sometimes in these pastoral crisis situations, we already know what happened, but we realize that to get started, sometimes a person just naturally needs to tell it again. So John says, where do I even start? You may be tempted at that point to prompt him in the beginning. But we don't because we also realize that when someone has just lost a loved one, sometimes their mind has to start in the immediate context. So we say, when did you know things were bad when things were going wrong? I guess Thursday night, John says, I guess it started in the garden. You and I quickly exchange knowing glances because of our knowledge. Of course, it started in the garden. It started in the garden is a loaded statement, and John can't realize the irony of what he's saying. Jesus' dramatic, climactic moments had to happen in a garden. It's poetic that his choice in the garden to be obedient to God the Father, when that obedience would be completely selfless and would be completely sacrificial, and would bring life to any and all who would choose to accept the gift he offered to bring people into relationship and reconciliation with God. It all started in a garden. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, and Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve tempted to disobedience, to be selfish, and to disregard God the Father. And for that act, that one act of disobedience, to bring death to people, and to separate not only Adam and, and Eve from rich, abundant life, without questions, doubts, insecurities, fears, pains, anxieties, without calamity and hurt, but to impact all of us. That separation from God is a universal family trait, and all the insecurities, all the fighting, the fears, the pain, the troubles, the doubts are all a part of us. Of course, when John tells us it started in the garden, Jesus' downfall is what he's thinking about, and we know it's our uplifting. Jesus' death, our life. Jesus imprisoned and arrested us, set free from our sin. And Jesus cursed that we might have the curse of God's wrath forever removed from our hearts, souls, and minds. But John can't see the big picture that you and I can clearly see from our vantage point 2,000 years later. John is thinking the Garden of Gethsemane because of his own guilt and shame. You lose a loved one, guilt can quickly descend. I could have stopped this from happening. Why didn't I do more? Why didn't I do better? 
Am I a bad person for not stopping this? John's troubled heart and mind are stuck in the garden, and so we gently ask him what happened in the garden. John buries his face in his hands. We wait patiently, not forcing anything. Finally, he speaks. I fell asleep. You fell asleep? Yes, I fell asleep. What do you mean? I mean, John, sounding now impatient, all Jesus wanted was for me to stay awake and pray. You and I know the scriptures now, and we know that Peter and James also fell asleep, but John doesn't mention that. I couldn't stay awake one hour just to pray for him. If I had only prayed, he still might be here today. You don't know, you don't know that, I say, but without much conviction. John says, it doesn't matter. I let him down his one hour of need. I couldn't even give him one hour of prayer. Can you tell us what else happened in the garden? He says, his prayer was so loud, so intense, it woke me midway through. It was like a nightmare. He was pleading with God the Father, saying, please, Abba Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way we can rescue people from their own sin, then please, Father, show me another way. What happened next, we ask. He looks at us almost angry. Nothing happened. That's what no voice from heaven this time. Nothing but awkward silence. Then Jesus finally says, Father, not my will, but your will. And then he said to us, wake up, let's go. My betrayer is here. Now you and I know how the story goes. You and I know that to get to the resurrection, we have to get to the cross And you and I know that to get to the resurrection, we have a painful, sad Saturday of regret and questions and fears and doubts and loneliness. And if we dig deep enough, you and I know that Adam and Eve had their Garden of Eden where they chose to disobey. And you and I know we too have a Garden of Disobedience, a garden where our selfish choices have choked out the roses and lilies of life and have brought forth weeds. And when we take a good close look at our decisions, we realize that to get to the resurrection, we must face our own garden. And that garden also has the regret of being too tired to pray, too tired to care, too selfish to stand by our Lord and support him when that is all that he asks. To get to resurrection, we must go to our garden of regret and rebellion and admit what we have done. Now, John goes goes on to tell us that one of the other followers named Judas comes and greets Jesus with a kiss. John explains to us he's lost. He's lost as to what is going on. He's right there next to Jesus, he says. Jesus is calling Judas friend, and John doesn't understand what is happening. It looks like Judas is at the front of this mob crowd. All John sees is an army with clubs and swords and anger and hatred. John goes on to tell us that one of the other followers named Judas comes and greets Judas with a kiss. John explains to us he's lost as to what is going on. He's right there next to Jesus, he says. Jesus is calling Judas friend, and John doesn't understand what is happening. It looks like Judas is at the front of this mob crowd. All John sees is an army with clubs and swords and anger and hatred. Before John knows what to even think or say or do, he tells us one of our group took a sword and tried to kill a soldier with it, and he missed, but he chopped off his ear. And Jesus, John tells us, quickly acted and healed the man's ear. 
right there on the spot. And that should be enough to stop them from arresting Jesus and taking him to his death. I mean, I don't understand, John says. I've seen Jesus heal the blind time and time again. I've seen paralyzed men get up and start dancing around after meeting Jesus. You won't believe me, but a funeral was going on. A funeral. We see a dead teenager's body on a board being carried on a funeral procession. And I watch, John says, as Jesus, in that tender, beautiful way he had, walks up and looked at the boy's mom. And I watched tears streak down his face. And then he went over and touched the dead man. And that dead man sat up alive. And they're going to arrest Jesus and kill Jesus? What kind of animals are they? What kind of hatred, John says, leads people to do that? It's madness, John says. And in the passionate and angry way he says it, we almost feel as if he's accusing us on the spot. And Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, four days in the cave, dead and buried. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Roll away the stone. And Martha, who's been crying, starts to smirk, John tells us. Lord, uh, he's been in the tomb four days. It's going to stink if you roll away the stone. And Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And you and I, we realize that to see the dead raised to life, first comes death, then comes faith and belief and trust, and then resurrection And you and I realize that John doesn't remember that Jesus promised he would on the third day be raised. Right now, John's in too much pain, too much hurt, too much fog and confusion to remember the promise, the repeated promise of Jesus that three days he would be raised. John is telling us what it was like to see Lazarus emerge from the tomb and the chaos of people having to take off the burial cloth and the linen strips. Lazarus, his face wrapped in cloth, just like any good Jewish burial of the day. Unbind him, Jesus says, and let him go, John recalls for us. And then John gets quiet, shaking his head. And now, Jesus in a tomb, guarded by soldiers, wrapped in cloth and linen and a burial cloth around his face. So you and I understand that John is going to see, soon enough, resurrection of Jesus not just merely revived or resuscitated as Lazarus was. We know it's going to be different, but John doesn't on this sad and sorrowful Saturday. But we know, Lynn, you and I know we can't have resurrection. You simply can't have the ultimate victory unless you first go to the cross. And so we ask, John, were you there? He says, was I where? At the cross where they crucified him. He smirks, not at first I wasn't. We had all ran away. We had all scattered, run for our lives. I'm ashamed to say it, but I was afraid for my own life. Now, you and I aren't surprised. We know what happens in the garden. We know that Adam and Eve hide from God, don't want to be anywhere near God. You and I know that all 12 ran from Jesus in the garden. They don't want to be anywhere near Jesus. You and I aren't surprised because we have run from Jesus too. We have hidden from God and we've tried to hide things from God. In shame and guilt, we have run the other way. We know what happens in the garden of our hearts. We know, Brenda, you and I know, where we sow seeds that lead to weeds. 
where we plant pain and hope that it grows joy, where we water hurt and give light to bitterness in hope that it leads to happiness. When we find a garden of misery instead, we do like Adam and Eve and blame God. Yeah, John, we get it. We know about shame and running from Jesus. And if we're blessed enough by God's good grace, we know a thing or two about showing up at the cross. Tell us, John, why did you go back to the cross? What would he say? He'd say, I couldn't leave him alone. It was torture to watch him go through what he went through, bleeding and broken and suffering. And the worst thing, watching him try to sing a verse, a song, when you've got no breath to give. Every breath he took was pain, excruciating pain. He couldn't even sing out the lyric, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Oh, my God. I felt so helpless, John would say, so alone. Were you alone, we would ask? Slight smile, hmm, the women. What women, we would ask. Again, a slight smile emerges. A whole bunch of women were right there at the foot of the cross. They were there. But then his lip begins to quiver. He sniffles sniffles away the tears, covers his eyes, and says, his mom, his mom, Mary, she watched it all. And you know what's crazy? Even in the darkest moment, that pain and hurt to end all pain and all hurt, even then Jesus was still loving unselfishly and thinking about others. John stutters and the words aren't coming. He says he was thinking about me. He was loving me. He looked at Mary and then looked at me and said, Mary, take care of him like he's your son. Take care of him. And then looking at me, John says, saying, that's your mom now. Take care of her. And though it's been good for John to share all that heartache and all of it, we feel it's time to lighten the load just a bit. So we'll shift the questions and go back in time and say, when did you first meet Jesus? What did you think about him when you first saw him? And we'll talk about little things like nicknames about Simon being called Rock or Peter because you're there with me, Amy, right now. We'll say, how about Jesus What did he call you? Sons of thunder. And John will clear it up for us. Was Jesus being funny or was he empowering them by calling them sons of thunder or both? And we'll talk about some embarrassing things like the time those same sons of thunder, how they offered to call fire down from heaven to burn down a town of unbelievers and how Jesus corrected them like no other. And the time John and James thought they could get Jesus to guarantee them the top two positions of authority and glory when Jesus became king. We'll laugh about mistakes made and about little memories that we all hold on to in these moments. And John will feel a little better, but we'll know he's about to feel a whole lot better because we know his life's about to change. It starts in the old garden, leads to the cross, comes through some tough, sorrowful Saturday, and then resurrection in a new garden. And this new garden where you expect death and tombs where dead bodies will be buried. And who knows, maybe in our imagination on Sunday, we'll run with John and Peter to the garden. After hearing from Mary Magdalene and some of the other women disciples that something's going on, something crazy is up, and John will race to the garden where the tomb is. 
And he'll look into the cave, expecting to see a dead body lying there. When he looks in, he'll see the linen cloths and the face cloth that has been on Jesus' head. And he'll remember, by contrast, Lazarus and how all those cloths were still on that dead man as he was walking back to life. But these clothes all folded neatly. And even without yet seeing the risen Jesus for himself, the risen Christ who conquered death, the risen Messiah who death could not hold, the risen Son of God whose body could not be corrupted or decayed, even without seeing the wounds of Jesus or touching his resurrected hands or eating fish with him or hugging him, even without all that, John will believe. And how does John believe when not even yet Peter believes? And Thomas won't believe until he touches the wounds where Jesus was crucified. John believes because God has given him faith to believe. And that's my prayer for you today, that though you've not seen the resurrected body of Christ, the indestructible resurrected body of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that yet you will believe. And having believed, you will know that your resurrection is coming, that you too one day will receive that indestructible incorruptible new body that won't get sick, won't get aches, won't get decayed or old, and that believing that you will be in a new garden one day, a new heaven and a new earth. But first, we go to the cross where Jesus took our place and gave us forgiveness, where he took our place and released us from all prison, from guilt and shame. Yes, we go through our Saturdays where sometimes the sorrow and the questions and the anxieties get us rattled, where doubts make us wonder. But then we go to the new garden where an empty tomb and neatly folded up burial clothes await us. And by God's grace and power, we believe. That's what he does. That's what Jesus does. And he calls you in the garden by name. He calls you his child. He calls you daughter. He calls you son. He longs to be in relationship and reconciliation with you. And he longs to give you resurrection in the new garden where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more wars or abuse or jealousies or gossip or lust or misuse of power. And all we do is believe in Jesus and receive that gift. I'm Steve Teal. This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast, and this has been our Simple Man Bible Study Edition celebrating resurrection of Jesus Christ. Reach me at steve at verybold.com. If you want to join our team of supporters that helps this show and many other wonderful ministries happen, give at verybold.com. God bless you. I pray that you believe. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.